shit, this is so crazy. Uh, this is serious. Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Blockchain and, and why you were interested in kind of bringing it into your initiatives. And this isn't really an interview. You know, this is more like a roundtable. We could just spitball, but... I just thought you'd bring a little bit of perspective to the dis- you know the little discussion that we have. Yeah. Um, so do you want to, to do you want me to start uh, now talking about um, what's going on in Cambodia first? Yeah, I would love that. Okay. So um, just a little bit about myself. I'm Rati, um, co-founder of an initiative called Small World. We started as a co-working space and then move, um, uh, switch our target from co-working space um, from working with freelancers to working with a startup team. And since the last three and a half years, we've been working with, um, I, I think, over f- uh, 50 startup so far and also invested in a little bit uh, in startup. But um, the, the, the challenge in Cambodia has been a pretty uh, like the same um, since four years ago we have so many people want to do e-commerce and the big problem is uh, are two things that is not really solved uh, it's in um, payment and in logistic so uh, the logistic part is very difficult because because it involves um, many hierarchy and also the transportation part um, but the financial it shouldn't be a big problem. So I've been in, I've been very interested in finding a, a solution in that. So I talked to my friend um, about creating an internet credit. That was back in 2000, 2013. So <clears throat> internet credit at the time was like basically a coupon. Basically anybody who uh, who want to use want to buy anything should be uh, able to uh, buy a credit from somebody and use the credit uh, basically uh, a name or a promise um, to buy something or to, to send to someone um, like that. So it was just a, a crazy idea thought through that. And then um, before that I thought I, I, one of my friends from Singapore sent me um, information about Bitcoin um, um, like two years before. So I didn't get into Bitcoin until um, there was this idea about internet credit. And it's like, what is this about Bitcoin? So I started to study more about Bitcoin and I asked my mentor uh, to help me for, uh, find more um, resources 
to understand about Bitcoin and then um, get uh, learn more and more about Bitcoin. Then we get to understand the technology behind it. And um, uh, just just like that, we basically um, see that a different world from just a normal tech world to a different to to another world that speak about Bitcoin blockchain all the time. And we then uh, found out more altcoin and uh, Ethereum came along uh, late last year. So we we have been pretty close uh, follow up with Ethereum and study more of their technology. And I myself developed myself from uh, just a computer lover to learn Python and other programming uh, language to try to understand like what's what to try to understand what's going on. So um, I had a startup. I had a few start uh, co-founded a few startup with some friends. Um, most of those startup uh, in outsourcing and um, um, small product uh, development. So I try to tell them about the um, the Bitcoin and blockchain. This is the future of, of the of the internet, and they've been pretty busy uh, making money, uh, running outsourcing company and other thing. And I I just love um, to find new thing to do. So they they have been doing this uh, outsourcing and the other product manage the product basically like, like a normal business using banking and everything else. So. A bit, I have been a bit frustrated, so I started another team to just study about the blockchain, the movement, and the community that behind Ethereum input output HK. The guy who also one of the founder Charles, one of the founders of Ethereum, founding members. Uh, started another company and they reached out to me and I was like, shit, this is so crazy. Uh, this is serious. Uh, many people <laughs> are now into this. Yeah. So uh, they, 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 uh, one of their um, members interviewed me on Skype to try to recruit me and my team into their, their team. Um, so I was like, oh, okay. So uh, maybe this, this should be our uh, priority and it's very hard because in Cambodia there are not many people doing this um, like research development in this kind of technology. Um, we have small web application, mobile application here and there, um, but to look for this this like new what do you call it? Um, it's basically um, not knowing what exactly it is, um, so people are really scared about that. I think. Yeah, let me ask um, you a question. Do you do you feel yeah. that the like um, you have trouble with adoption because people are scared of it, and you think the way forward is to mask the technology to make it look like what people are used to, and so it's used as a back end? Or you think people just need to adjust to this to to this digital currency and start using it as it is? Um, I think in Cambodia it's not really difficult because. Um, I don't know if you know, Cambodia is a dual currency. We use uh, both Cambodian real, Khmer real, and uh, dollar at the same time. So um, when it comes to the the uh, credit card, I think it's a bit scary. But um, the majority of young population, uh, Cambodia is like 68% uh, under 30 years old. 
So a lot of people now coming to technology, they just slowly coming to it. Uh, a lot of people use smartphone. Um, about five million people using smartphone, and uh, they're pretty savvy with internet. So um, with the habit of using two dual currency, I think the adoption is is pretty um, pretty soon going to catch on. Uh, because I also host a Bitcoin meetup community in Phnom Penh. So, um, they are, they are, we have, um, I think we have 170 members in our community. But nice. although, although they, they have, they, uh, they, they interested in like what it is about Bitcoin, but they don't really understand what it is. But you guys, have a, you guys have a desire though for financial independence though. I think that's, that's clear across the board. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of people are interested in that. Do you well, do you do you find yourself moving more of your development towards um, like leaving your old style of developing applications, or are you trying to incorporate Bitcoin into kind of your old teams uh, and how you used to do things? Like, how how is the shift? Is it leaving what you used to do, or just adding on to what you used to do? Um, it's it's shifting. Um, although we're still adding on what we used to do. Um, but our goal is to basically completely um, using. So um, we we are um, already planning to create our own uh, uh, currency that hopefully interconnected and interchange with Bitcoin. The problem with Bitcoin that scare other people in Cambodia is that, and and also the government do not really support here. Um, that the volatility of Bitcoin is is so uh, too great that people are scared to get into it. So wait, um, wait a second there. Yeah, but it's not. It's not. It's not. But in the in the eyes of the public, that's what it is. Mm. I, I, so I, I how do we change point. that? That's a good point. I, that's a good talking point. It's not. Yeah. It's for the last two years now. It's been less volatile than lots of currencies. Yes. Yes. So yes, it's less. So instead of just taking that as fact and say, "Oh, everybody thinks it's too volatile," no, you just take it as fact. It's got to be pushed down to the point that it's not true. It's not that volatile anymore. Yeah. How do we get that? Correct. How do we get them to see that? Um. So in that in that part, um, like we have a small team, but we have um, we we started to, I mean. People are scared before they know it. People are scared before they use it. If they are, if they are experienced, then yeah. they would do. They they would they would forget about this. So uh, what I've done so far is to give Bitcoin to my team, and then let them experiment. So I give them twenty five dollar per person of Bitcoin, like twenty five dollar worth of Bitcoin per per person, and I have. Um, I, I, I only have um, seven people that really buy into this idea so far um, in, the, in, in my team. So I have a young team that do that. I have, I have a question so, for you, real quick. So yeah. you, you, give, yeah. you give them Bitcoin. And here in America, it's quite easy for us to spend our Bitcoin. Like it, there's not a lot of real benefit for us having it other than the like, and so like the, 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 the main reason Bitcoin's great is because it, it helps when your your infrastructure isn't that great. 
but so like, yeah. it's not a problem for us to buy, sell, use our Bitcoin. How how do you like when you give your Bitcoin to your to your, your coworkers or your your team? Do you find that they have a hard time using it and they don't really see a <laughs> use case for it? But they can't use it. I mean, people don't do don't don't trade, don't buy anything with Bitcoin this, uh, here. So the only thing I can get them interested into that is to learn about trading, like with all with with all currency. Okay. So they go to polonic.com uh, and uh, create an account and try to st study more alt currency uh, because um, any other alt currency is another ideas that, that um, develop um, based on blockchain. So uh, my, I mean, this is the only solution for me now for my team to, un to, to buy into blockchain technology or, or the bus of the blockchain is to uh, really understand what are those uh, um, other currency, other uh, are um, uh, created for um, beside Bitcoin? Well, I think you found out what you need to develop in Cambodia as a way for people to spend their Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. So um, that, in that sense, we we bought, um, we started to to do a small Bitcoin exchange. Called Bitreal. So um, for tourists, for tourists who come to Cambodia, um, that want to train, uh, that want to uh, spend the Bitcoin, they can sell to us or they can sell to my friends. So I convinced some of some of my businessmen, uh, my my business friend, to also uh, say uh, like uh, put some money aside to buy some Bitcoin if any traveler come to Cambodia and they want to spend Bitcoin. Uh, so they can just uh, send us Bitcoin and we give them cash on hand. Nice. Um, and and in that sense, we, we collect uh, Bitcoin. And if anyone wants to buy anything online in America, like through Amazon or other other merchants uh, that accept Bitcoin, we then buy those products for them using Bitcoin and they, they pay us cash mm. um, at the Bitcoin Bitcoin price. Have you looked into like uh, is there a local bitcoins in your country? Yes, yes. Have you ever had um, any experience with that? I who uh, sell and buy bitcoin in Cambodia using local bitcoin, but they they are their rate is so expensive, like so high. Mm. Sometimes I want to buy I want to buy more bitcoin, but it's so high that I would just buy from the tourists. I would wait for a while and buy from tourists. Mm. Smart move. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's flip a little bit because I know last week you were trying to discover uh, how you can create innovative solutions using blockchain technologies and you were seeking advice. And for me personally, Dimitri and Corey are like the smartest guys I know in the space. Uh, so if you had any questions, you know, you've had a week to think about this. I mean, why don't you turn it over on us and, and maybe shoot us some some ideas or some questions you got? Maybe we can help you out. Yeah. So um, I I thought um, to to generate more interest is to start an uh, an, in, an incubator or accelerator that uh, invests in Bitcoin or the blockchain uh, startup um, because there isn't any other people. Um, in Cambodia yet. I know a friend of mine in Simbrip, another province, Ni Angkor Wat, um, interested in um, 
Tesla and other uh, blockchain technology. Um, but we don't have a use case. We don't have um, enough uh, interest or people that talk about this. So I want to create an accelerator that specifically invest or, or support um, anybody, any young people that uh, want to start a blockchain startup. And um, honestly, I don't know what to do first. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I mean, when you say blockchain startup, that's you got a big hill to climb there because then you got to figure out, you know, what your network is going to provide, what the yeah. token's going to be called, mm. how you're going to sell it on the like an ICO, an initial coin offering. You got to get people yeah. excited about that. Um, you so, know, those, those are some steps you got to take. What's up, Core? Yeah. So, can I have a question? Um, yeah. So when when someone, because I never really get in touch with anyone yet, when someone um, initial initially uh, or initiate a token. Um, like uh, other altcoin, um, do they have to contact anyone who promoted it or something like that? It's like, is so there a with, promoter with the Ethereum? <clears throat> a lot of what yeah. you're seeing is you're seeing startups who build an application or a decentralized application on top of Ethereum, and within that application, that smart contract has a token associated with it. And mm. they come up with a certain amount. And this is just solely speaking for tokens that are built on top of Ethereum. Um, yeah. You can then create a certain amount that you, you know, create into existence and then distribute that a certain way. And what a lot of people are doing is they have an, what's called an initial coin offering, which means that they sell those tokens for a promised functionality later on so that funds the development of the application. And the success mm -hmm. of something like that is, I think, solely based on how well you can get people excited about what you're doing and then mm -hmm. uh, provide that functionality. If you, if you don't have an application that solves a real-world problem, then no one's going to buy your token. Yeah. And then from once it's, in the, once it's in the wild, you can trade them relatively freely. And they can, if you, especially if you can get it on an exchange... So that they can uh, kind of have a free market value based on what willing what someone's willing to buy and sell for it. To buy, yeah. Okay, yeah. I've been I've been looking to um, Ethereum uh, testnet a, a bit here and there. Not really serious into Ethereum yet because um, I heard that it's so expensive on the Ethereum network. No, I don't Is think it true? so. No. I, don't, I, I personally don't think so. It's, I've, I've found that development on Ethereum is really easy to kind of start start getting going, and then once you like, if you ha if you have an application that's built excitement, that like deploying a smart contract isn't that expensive, and interacting with it also isn't that expensive. But uh. what what really matters is like how you interact with it. Like what your use case is has a lot to do with how expensive it's going to be. Say, for instance, if you have to make a lot of transactions and you're yeah. paying for all those transactions that it might start to get expensive. But if you're just maybe storing uh, certain information and transferring that information at, you know, it's sparing. 
but mm. so like each transaction has more value to the person, then it won't may not be that yeah. expensive. So it's such a broad space; it's hard to say like how your application okay. is going to be built and how expensive it's going to be. Like what? Yeah. I guess it's best to start thinking about what problems can you solve in mm. Cambodia that here, you really need. Here is here is the problem. I think I want to uh, tackle first. Um, a couple of months ago, I went to a province and I ran out of cash. So I asked my 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 brother to send me fifty dollar cash uh, through a local mobile money. They have vendor from uh, almost everywhere in town, um, in 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 villages. So um, my brother sent me from Phnom Penh to the province. Um, uh, fifty dollar they charge. One dollar fifty cents. So I, I was like, this is too much. Um, I felt so many people sending so much money. Um, I mean, so uh, the the amount is very small, but then the fee is very high. So every every transaction they charge one dollar to one dollar fifty um, per transaction. Uh, I thought I would come back and discuss with my friend to find out a way we can do a micro transfer or micro transaction and with very low cost like like uh, sending a text message um, that would be wonderful uh, so we we brainstormed some idea uh, so far that um, we're now uh, working on a an application first a mobile application that uh, you know tuk tuk uh Heard of a it. T-U-K, T-U-K? Yeah, yeah. A tuk-tuk yeah, is, is, is a motorbike uh, attached with um, a car that uh, drive people around the city. It's like a taxi, but it's like an open um, mm. an open transportation. So um, there are a lot of tuk-tuk here. And um, there's also uh, uh, tuk-tuk everywhere now, almost everywhere in town, in the countryside too. Um, and these people travel all around. Um, so instead of using it as Uber, we want to use it as a, a way for people to use the tuk-tuk with low fee, with almost no fee at all. But then they will work as an agent to sell the uh, token or the credit. Um, then anybody who drive on a, on a tuk-tuk can buy, they, they can add their credit using the token. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly how it's gonna be yet. We we still doing the uh, the app right now. Um, and then um, if anyone send money to another province where there's also tuk tuk using our app, they the the, the tuk tuk can um, use can get the credit inside can basically transfer. For for example, um, let me say it again. For example, I'm living in Phnom Penh. And then I send to my friend who live in Simbri, Uncle Wat. Um, my friend received a credit um, from me, and he 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 need cash. So they are took took right around, and they make about twenty thirty dollar per day, um, a bit more, a bit less. Um, the took took driver can say, okay, I I I can um, change the cash for you. So my friend would transfer the credit to the took took driver, and then took took driver would drive and give him cash. So um, the, the fee would be less instead of charging 
one dollar fifty, they consider fee um, that is competitive enough that my friend would select them out uh, on on a mobile phone uh, mobile app. So right right now this is the the app we're creating, but we don't we are not um, on the uh, choosing any uh, blockchain yet like any build, build application to facilitate a transaction yet. Let me ask you this. What is too expensive for a transaction? Is it, is it is um, maybe 5, 10, 15 cents per transaction? Is that too much? No, no, no. It's it's a dollar fifty no, per transaction. No, I'm asking what like what would be too expensive? Right now, oh, if you use the Bitcoin oh. network, each like because yeah. of the like the how full blocks are currently getting, yeah, it takes at least maybe, you know, depending on your transaction, five, ten, fifteen cents per transaction. If that's doable, you can do this with Bitcoin. But it's a matter of how do you get Bitcoin into people's hands, and then how do you get yeah. mm-hmm. the ending up Bitcoin into whatever currency they want. And if you don't have a good way of doing that in Cambodia, like the local Bitcoins, then it may be that may be difficult, unless they're just willing to hold on to Bitcoin to use the tuk-tuks. There's Abra, but I don't know if they work in Cambodia yet. Um, the the Abra, yeah, I heard about Abra. The thing is that people are not willing to hold Bitcoin. What if they don't know? I'm, I'm prob- <laughs> huh? what, if it, what if inside your app, <clears throat> they don't quite know what they're holding. They just hold a value and whatever yeah. number that they want. But it's un- the underlying bag, like the underlying framework is, is made with Bitcoin. Yeah, but I don't understand in this case because, you know, um, so they don't know what they hold. So let's say they hold Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't know this is whether this is Bitcoin or not. They they know they hold some sort of cash uh, value. So, for example, I send a fifty dollar worth of Bitcoin to my friend, and then the volatility is down a bit. Then the transaction fee would be like ten cent, for example. But then, if the value of Bitcoin is uh, lower, um, what would this be? Or well, should if if you take your token, for example, how yeah. what what makes you think that there are people who are more willing to hold on to a token that they don't quite understand as opposed to Bitcoin? Yeah, I feel like if you go with a token, it's almost the same thing, but um, you you don't you you lose a lot of the use cases outside of Bitcoin. So as Bitcoin adoption spreads, which is it's going to. People will be able to use yeah. that money outside of the the, the, the tuk tuk as well, right? And I, I understand okay. that volatility is an issue, but I feel like that's just something that people have to get used to because volatility of everything is an issue. Like uh, you, you have a, you have an exchange rate with your local currency in dollars, do you not? Yeah, yeah, and we that, do. That that varies over time. Yeah, um, yeah. How is that thing, any different thing is than that you, like, the exchange rate between Bitcoin and, and, and dollars or Bitcoin and your local currency? The, the thing is that, um, well, um, now I, I think mostly maybe because of just in my head. And the thing is that if you, for example, well, a tuk-tuk driver might hold two, three hundred dollar. And um, two, three hundred dollar, let's say, two, three hundred dollar, let's say, 
it was half of Bitcoin. Uh, let's say Bitcoin is um, six hundred dollars now. Then um, with with the tuk tuk driver and the people in in Cambodia and the countryside, um, ten dollar is uh, is different. Like make a lot different for them. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So if if it is volatility, the, the the volatility of Bitcoin is very small. Uh, let's say from six hundred to six hundred and ten. For them, it take a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. I see. Just the, the well, relative change in value is a lot for them. Yeah, I can see yeah. that. Well, maybe because your opportunity they, here is they necessary. Earn, to... Go ahead. Because because they earn like um, for the majority of people earn twenty dollars a day the most. That that's like they mm -hmm. they're a good day. Yeah, a good day for them. Twenty dollars a day, right? And if they have to yeah. send money, you said it's a dollar fifty. If they make thirty dollars, a dollar fifty, that's that's like three over three percent. Yeah, it's a big yeah. chunk. Oof. So, so the um, just just to let you know, um, to this year, twenty sixteen, um, <clears throat> one of the main uh, mobile transfer mobile banking company transaction, uh, they they their transaction. Has reached ten billion dollar using microtransaction um, among Cambodian who work in town or work in the city and send their money back home or send money across the province. Um, so that this is big, um, and I I I assume they they make big chunk of the the money. Um, and the poor people. Keep sending money every month to their family and end up costing them a lot. Mm. Yeah, uh, to me that seems like your opportunity to undercut that guy who's charging a dollar fifty per transaction, and especially when, I mean, somebody's making thirty dollars a day. That that's like over three. That's almost four percent. That's what's going yeah. This, the the thirty dollars a day is like this is not normal people. This is like tuk tuk driver who make a good day. Um, oh okay. Uh, so to so to let you know a more like more detail about Cambodia, like um, normal employee um, make about five hundred five hundred dollar uh, three hundred to five hundred dollars a, a month. Um, a worker, government, government factory worker, make about uh, one hundred fifty to two hundred dollars a month. This is mm -hmm. they they do. Tuk tuk driver, motor taxi or taxi driver make roughly between fifteen to I think thirty dollars a day, uh, average. Yeah. So if if they end up sending money uh, three times a month, or let's say just one times a month, they uh, end up spending. Two times a month, they spend three dollar already. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, hey, Riddhi, are you gonna uh, hang around? We're gonna we're gonna throw it to our interview. Are you gonna stick around for us a little bit? Yes. All right. Um, from from what I've been hearing, I think that you guys could benefit from uh, a little thing called Athena Bitcoin. It just so happens the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. Uh, it's not located in Cambodia, unfortunately. It's, uh, it's yeah. in Fort Worth, Dallas, and Houston, uh, and seven other U.S. cities. Um, but you know, if you're here, 
uh, feel free to download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play. And uh, for specific locations and more information, visit AthenaBitcoin.com. And uh, we're also brought to you by uh, the Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, BitQuick.co, which is a secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. And they have been serving Bitcoiners uh, a long time, three years. And uh, you know the tagline, where there's a bank, there's BitQuick. So we're going to uh, transition to our uh, our our feature of the episode, uh, which is Stephen Pear. Who, who grabbed Stephen Pear? Was it D? I did. So, That's D. What well, I applaud you, right sir. It's a good grab. Good grab. Um, he has 20 years of experience building software systems in the financial and telecommunications industries, and he's co-founder and president of a company we all know and love, BitPay, where you can start accepting Bitcoin, store and spend Bitcoin securely, or you can even get that BitPay card. Who's got that BitPay card? BitPay. I don't, but I might. <laughs> <laughs> and his, but here it like, is. His poker face is reminiscent of like a Metal Gear Solid villain. Like he has oh, yeah. got one hell of a poker face. <laughs> it's intense. Do, do we play Lady Gaga's poker face and fade it into this interview? Got it. <laughs> we are LLC now, so let's start testing the waters a little bit with this. Let's try to get sued. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See if it works. Let's test it. All right. Well, here it is. So, first of all, thank you for coming on the Bitcoin podcast, Represent BitPay. Uh, Steven, would you would you like to give just like a brief introduction? Just kind of let our listeners know who you are and, and where you're from, what you're doing. Uh, sure. I'm uh, Stephen Pear. I'm the co-founder and CEO of BitPay, um, which is currently the world's largest uh, Bitcoin payment processor. Nice. I like so, to. I like to kind of. I've always enjoyed fun, kind of figuring out where people come from. Like, how how did you get into Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. What made you think that it's something you needed to follow up and really dig into? Uh, so back in the 1990s, there was something called DigiCash that I was a big fan of. And uh, that was the world's first cryptographic payment system, or at least, if not the first, one of the first. Um, I was a big fan of that. And then uh, that got me interested in the whole subject area. Uh, when DigiCash went bankrupt, that payment system went away along with it. And uh, throughout the late 90s and early 2000s, there, were, there wasn't a whole lot of visible progress on uh, trying to create a payment system that didn't depend on a centralized administrator. And so, you know, I kind of would periodically kind of check in on, you know, uh, the state of things. And, and then when the when I got around to reading the computer science white paper behind Bitcoin, the Satoshi white paper uh, in late 2010, uh, I got very excited. Um, I was fortunate that I had thought about this problem area to recognize that the uh, to to recognize the sort of breakthrough that they had and um, or he had, and uh, that got me thinking. You know, what can I do around this? What uh, I was at the time, I was looking for uh, either a startup to join or or to to start a new company. Um, I'd been at IBM for quite a uh, for a handful of years there and was ready to get back into the startup scene and um, I had some ideas but nothing that kind of grabbed me like uh, Bitcoin did 
so my background is computer science. I've been writing code since I was six or seven years old and uh, went to Georgia Tech. Um, so I was, I, I come at it from the viewpoint of a computer scientist primarily. That's a, it seems as though you, you've been, BitPay's been around for a while. You kind of yeah. hit the nail on the head on where a lot of the early problems were with Bitcoin. And that's kind of getting people, like enabling those on and off on and off access ramps with mm -hmm. Bitcoin. That was seemed to be the kind of the major issue, at least with last year, it's gotten a lot better these days, but what made you decide to go straight to that? Was that where you saw the problem back then? Well, at the time there were plenty of Bitcoin exchanges. Uh, so we felt like that problem uh, was being solved. Although ironically, one of the things I always wanted to do was build an exchange uh, for <laughs> uh, since way before Bitcoin, I, I was always fascinated by markets and trading and, such but uh, but we felt like there are plenty of exchanges already um, and uh, but there was there wasn't really a good way that uh, businesses could could tie into the system and so a Bitcoin payment was very different from a credit card payment and so we felt like there was a good opportunity if we could sort of bridge that gap and uh, provide a service that just made it easy for a company to add Bitcoin as a form of payment um, and and not have to um, write up a, a lot of software themselves this, this strikes the vein, I mean, we've talked about this a lot on our show. Do you feel that Bitcoin will be massively adopted when people don't know they're using it? Or do you need to just provide them a little more uh, lubrication to get on and off? Or should it just be completely under the hood and obfuscated? No, I think uh, uh, I think Bitcoin itself will be uh, adopted and, and, and used and people will be aware they're they're using it. I don't think... But having said that, I think Bitcoin also uh, can can be sort of rails that are hidden sort of behind the scenes and making making systems work. Um, but I do think that Bitcoin as an asset class is is getting very interesting. You, you start to you're starting to hear more and more uh, financial advisors and that sort of talk about Bitcoin as a sort of alternative digital asset that um, uh, is good for rounding out a diversified portfolio. And uh, kind of it's an asset you can hold that's digital in nature, but yet not exposed to the existing financial system. And if you look at a lot of financial assets today and for the last number of years, uh, whether it's bonds or stocks or, uh, you know, anything that's um, sort of tied to the existing financial system, they're all starting to be highly correlated with one another. And that's that's dangerous from a portfolio diversification perspective. So I think you might see in, in the world of payments, you might see Bitcoin sort of hidden behind the scenes and just sort of enabling uh, payments to occur, um, electronic payments to occur. Um, but I think people will also be aware of Bitcoin as an asset class and, and might choose to hold you know, some savings in Bitcoin. Yeah, that's actually something. We recently interviewed uh, Jack Tater. Uh, yeah. he's, uh, he's, he's been recommending Bitcoin as a kind of the, the alternative investment class up to 20% of your portfolio nowadays. It's, he's, he's really pushing for this, this idea as Bitcoin being in the typical investment portfolio, investment portfolio by, and that's kind of the ultimate diversification if you think about it. Yeah. Um, it, one of the neat things about that I've always thought about Bitcoin was that it's for the first time a digital asset that you can hold that has no counterparty risk. Um, and actually it's that property that makes it work as a payment system, but um, 
but you you know as outside of altcoins um there you really can't say that about any other kind of digital asset mm -hmm. so i guess while we're speaking on this vein of investing and investments uh I, i've done it for a little while um it's fun i like it but what i, I basically distilled it down to you're not so much an investor as you are a risk assessor mm -hmm. And assessing risk in these different things you choose to put money into. So along that, you know, theme, what are some of the biggest risks you see to Bitcoin moving forward? Uh, you know, you've been in it for a while, and it seems like it, it's uh, kind of ushering in itself as, like you said, a bona fide digital assets. But there's still risks involved. So what do you think yeah. some of the biggest ones are? Well, as a payment system and as a store of value. It's still relatively new, so you know the blockchain started in 2009, and and so we're only you know less than a decade into into this experiment. So, yeah, while as long as the network and everything continues to function, um, I, I think the future is bright for Bitcoin, um, but but it's still relatively new, and there's still a lot of things that could go wrong. Um, yeah, but having said that, it's it's the uh, cryptocurrency that has the longest track record so far. Yeah, that being said, uh, is it? Do you think its nascency is what makes it a good investment, or is it really a good storage of value and kind of that um, deflationary uh, currency model that makes it worth investing into? Well, I think right now the primary utility of Bitcoin is as a value transfer system. I'll say that kind of broadly because there's a lot of debate about whether you want to use Bitcoin directly for, you know, uh, most payments or, or whether you want to, um, or whether it should be used for more batch settlement type payments. Um, but one way or another, either, either one of those, it's a value transfer uh, system. And so I would say that at least today is the primary use case for Bitcoin. And as long as, uh, it continues to grow in that usage, then it makes for, you know, an asset that you would want to hold and store and, and uh, um, you know, in, uh, put some savings into. So a lot of people talk about Bitcoin's killer use case being a store of value. I, I kind of disagree with that because uh, it's, its utility as a store of value is uh, uh, it's, it's sort of um, a direct consequence of its utility. It's probably, it's, primary use case, which is uh, for value transfer. Now we may find, uh, and one thing I like to tell people is we shouldn't necessarily be um, uh, sort of fixated on what everyone perceives to be Bitcoin's primary use case, which is uh, a value transfer system. It, it could be that you layer a DNS system on top of it, for example, and all of a sudden DNS transactions matter more than payment transactions. And while value transfer will be an integral uh, part of Bitcoin always, um, they may s serve another primary use case, which is as a DNS system or a, you know, a, a censorship resistant DNS system. Well, I'm not saying that will happen. I'm saying that's an example of maybe there's another use case out there that, um, w that we'll find that actually uh, leverages the, uh, the infrastructure of Bitcoin um, uh, more so than strictly as a value transfer system. That could happen. It may not happen. Maybe the value transfer system is the killer app for the Bitcoin blockchain. Well, it's along the same vein, isn't it? I mean, these, it's, it's really the 
general idea of digital asset transfer, not so much financial, not so much, you know, domains. It's, it's all about the same real thing. And the value is placed on the system that you're using for, right. for currencies. It's the crypto, it's the token for right. a domain name service. It's, it's kind of the ownership of the name. Correct. And what, all I'm saying is that it, let's say you layered a DNS system on top of Bitcoin and all of a sudden this became the way to do a domain name system. Uh, suddenly you would find DNS related transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain crowding out uh, straightforward value transfer transactions. And, uh, and so yeah. it would still have the utility as a value transfer system, but that would be um, secondary to the primary utility of being a DNS system. And, and the store of value would be, um, you know, derived from uh, those two things. Uh, all I'm saying is there may yet be another use case that the Bitcoin infrastructure uh, finds um, uh, or people find utility in, in the Bitcoin infrastructure. And that may be the dominant use case and might might actually be what we're talking about five or 10 years from now. And we should maybe keep our minds open to that possibility. Yeah, I guess to say that you know what the main use case is and will be is a foolish statement. You really don't know what we're going to build or how it's going to be used later on. Right. I mean, the Bitcoin blockchain is there, the network functions, um, and uh, and it's up to people to find creative ways to use it. Absolutely. I, we're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna steer things in a different direction here and more towards BitPay. You know, enough, mm -hmm. enough about Bitcoin. They're listening to our show. They're obviously fans of Bitcoin, but for BitPay specifically, you know, are, are there any main like new initiatives? Maybe you could give us any exclusives if you're feeling generous at all, <laughs> or you know, just just let our audience know what where, what BitPay's direction is headed in and how you guys are forging those this growth of Bitcoin moving towards the future. Yeah, I, I probably won't uh, give you any any exclusives, but not not because I don't like you guys. It's just because I, I hate to pre-announce things, and um, you know I'm very sensitive to not uh, uh, putting out vaporware and, and instead putting out actual software. Can't hurt to ask. Um, <laughs> good, good decision. Um, but you know, as as you've noticed recently, we launched the BitPay app. Um, and uh, that's built on the copay platform, which we've been building for the last couple of years now. Um, and that's really all about uh, giving BitPay the ability to innovate on the end-to-end -end sort of payments experience. Um, as strictly a merchant-facing platform, we can only do so much in making the payment process simpler and uh, more user-friendly and you know faster, cheaper, et cetera. So we'll continue innovating on that. Uh, that app and uh, um, rolling out new capabilities. At the same time, we wanted to keep Copay more of a pure open source Bitcoin focused platform uh, and not uh, sort of, uh, or I should say more generally a cryptocurrency uh, platform, but, uh, and not sort of introduce elements of BitPay's products into the Copay platform. So, by having them separated, as we have done, um, we can put more BitPay oriented things into the BitPay app and keep Copay a pure uh, wallet. Um, and, you know, we, we started struggling with this when we added integrations with Coinbase and integrations with uh, Gladera for buying and selling Bitcoins 
when we added uh, Amazon gift cards. And then we needed to add an interface to our BitPay debit card. Um, and we that was when it got to a point where we were like, okay, we, we really are kind of, um, I guess, compromising the, the pure Bitcoin wallet nature of Copay uh, if we do that. Mm. So by having the two separate, we can kind of keep Copay more of a pure open source platform that, that people can build off of um, when they need Bitcoin wallets. Yeah, I was going to say, it, I, I would imagine you find it hard to not overly broaden yourself in a community like Bitcoin. It's yeah. so easy to, to want to innovate in all of the different directions, but then that almost spreads you too thin and you lose the specialization in a certain area. Yeah, uh, I think as a software company, any software company, it doesn't matter if it's Bitcoin or not, um, you ha- your most important decisions are, the, are, are what you're not going to do. Um, yeah, there's a lot that we could do around this platform and, and the technology, but um, that would spread ourselves too thin and, and uh, we would not have a sustainable company. Well, how about this? If Do uh, you have any advice to other developers out there on what would be a good thing to do that you're not going to do? Huh. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, there's so much. Uh, you know, there are so many things to do. I think... I think a lot of the companies out there and a lot of the projects out there are, are stretching too far out into the future and they're building stuff that the market's not going to be ready for uh, for 10 years. Um, and that's a dangerous place to be because you, you might be right. You might be, okay, uh, Deos, for example, are a great uh, application of blockchains, but you know the, the, the real world may not be ready for that for a long time. And you may need to be prepared to have losses for stretching out a decade into, into the future. And uh, you may need a team of 20 people to build the software working 10 years to do it. And you may never see revenues for 10 years and it's going to take you a lot longer and cost you a lot more than, than you anticipate. Um, so I think a lot of the, a lot of the companies in the, in the projects out there are, are really just going too far and, and being too ambitious and not recognizing that, they're not likely to see revenues anytime soon with what, what their idea is. Not that it's a bad idea. It's just early. Yeah. I think it's really easy also to, to, to kind of want to stay on the bleeding edge, but forget about what's necessary right now. And Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's hard to know, like, what do we need as infrastructure or services at the current moment that is definitely doable, but no one's paying attention to because they're too focused on trying to like, innovate that 10 years, 15 years from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a hard question. There's so much that can be done and you just want to happen quickly, but uh, it, it takes time to write software. That's true. And as we've kind of seen from the mishaps of Ethereum and, and different cryptocurrencies is that it's not only diff- hard to write software, it's incredibly hard to write consensus distributed consensus driven software. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some ambitious projects, I've been a part of some ambitious projects in the past. And what I found was that uh, in a lot of cases, you, you find yourself in a situation where you've got to make real significant progress on about a dozen different fronts to get from a place where to, to advance the state of the art to a point where you have something that's practically usable and, and trying to make, progress in a dozen different dimensions all at once is very difficult. 
Absolutely. I can imagine it be kind of tough. Well, I wish them the best though, because so a lot of these projects are, they seem really, really cool, really futuristic. Mm-hmm. But to bring it back to BitPay, I was curious how, I think a while ago Coinbase released their like uh, debit card uh, metrics and they alluded that adoption was growing because of it. It's a really hard thing to measure. But are you guys finding that there's a, a large rate of adoption with you guys' debit card? Yeah, I mean, we're finding uh, that we've got a good product uh, and there's a market for it. And um, just making the, the process of converting uh, Bitcoin into a spendable balance on a Visa card is, uh, is a valuable thing. Um, and something we, we wanted to, we felt like we had the, uh, we were in a position to make that work and make it work well, make the user experience really great. And um, so we did it. Um, and you're talking about the shift card. Yeah. 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 yeah, The shift card. I think that's a separate company from uh, Coinbase. Yes. Yeah. They they just integrate. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We took a slightly different approach with our card. We decided not to make it look like you had a Bitcoin balance uh, on there. And instead you have a dollar balance that you top up. Um, And there are a few reasons for doing that. Um, You know, uh, one, one practical reason is just keeping track of, you know, there's a lot of news about the IRS, uh, you know, uh, in Coinbase right now, uh, just keeping track of when you sell and having control over when you sell Bitcoin and convert it to dollars um, so that you don't have to, if the price runs up, for example, you don't want to have to run around your neighborhood shopping for stuff to take advantage of the price <laughs> increase in Bitcoin. Uh, so you, you can sit from the comfort of your living room and uh, convert your uh, some of your bitcoins into dollars at, at your leisure, and then shop when you want to. Um, that was probably the primary reason we decided not to, to go that route. Um, but also, there's um, a Visa transaction is much less secure than a Bitcoin transaction, and we didn't want it to feel like when you're spending dollars on a Visa card. We didn't want to try to make it feel like you're spending Bitcoin because it's not really a Bitcoin transaction. It's a pull transaction. It's got all the drawbacks of a Visa transaction. Um, mm-hmm. That was actually going to be my next question. The debit card is nice. I have one. I, I use it, but it seems like putting a horse, strapping a couple horses to a Porsche. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, why? It doesn't make any sense. But it, it comes in handy for random usage. Um, well, I, I guess we can close it out. Uh, I, got, I got a quick question. I was, question. Is this, oh, you is got this, a quick question? No, um, you can't ask that question. <laughs> tough. <laughs> It's this this concept. You mentioned the IRS uh, coming at Coinbase looking for kind of user transactions. And how does how does BitPay approach the same situation? Like how how would you have an official stance on? Because regulation is only going to happen on these these portals into in and out of Bitcoin that are tied to traditional banking systems. How did like how do you deal with that? Like how, do you, are you worried about that? Do you have you built contingency plans? Well, we. First of all, we engage with the regulators and try to educate them as, as best we can. And that's that's a big expense. I agree. Um, but it's also you know, very and, important. Yeah, there's, you know, you've got all of the state level regulators, the different federal level regulators that, um, you know, you, you are engaging with and, and trying to educate on this stuff. Um, yeah, as far as like contingency plans, um, uh, you know, I don't I don't know what kind of contingency you're you might be 
thinking of. Maybe um, just the wrong I wording, guess. but like, what what are your thoughts on how? Where do you go when this happens to you? Um, you mean if if they made the same request of BitPay? Yes. But we have, I mean, we have different a different user base. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have our wallet, but we don't have any visibility into the transactions that that people do in that wallet. It's a, it's a true Bitcoin wallet. Um, and uh, yeah, users don't sign up for BitPay to use the BitPay wallet uh, or to use the Copay wallet. Um, so there wouldn't be much information we would be able to give them on usage of, uh, of the wallet software. Um, I suppose they could request information about who has a debit card. But uh, I don't know. We would probably have a similar response as, as Coinbase does. That sort of blanket request for all user data is a little unprecedented. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I, I only ask because I'm, I know that they are kind of flying blind in terms of how they operate and what they do and, and where they go from here in a lot of areas. And I'm just curious about the, the larger companies in Bitcoin or the ones that they're going to try and possibly hit with these blanket requests to get as much data or some data so they can figure out something to do. And just kind of the stance on the different companies is, is interesting to me personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know any other way to deal with that than through dialogue and education. And hopefully regulators take a follow rulemaking processes. If there's some aspect of the regulations that don't account for some concern that they have, that they follow you know, a process to address that rather than trying to stretch the definition of terms or mm-hmm. uh, lead. You know, it's hard as a company if you can look at the regulations and how they're written. Uh, and there are plenty of them to read. Uh, <laughs> um, it's hard as a company if you're also, in addition to reading the regulations, trying to anticipate how somebody might interpret some sentence in some, you know, some piece of law. Um, so hopefully, you don't see too much of that, and, and instead you see uh, sort of rulemaking processes that they follow, and that, that we have some ability to comment on. Um, and hopefully they'll come to us to ask us what we think about, um, you know, this or that uh, rulemaking uh, or rule that they're considering or, or change in the regulations that they're, they're considering. I, I would say in general, we viewed, you know, payments as being sort of like speech. Um, uh, I, I think you could learn a lot by if, if you look at payments from the lens of communications and um Similar to the way if, if two people are having a conversation, it's illegal for a third party to listen in on that conversation without, you know, if it's, if it's a, a law enforcement, then they have to have a, some type of judicial warrant to do that. Um, I think you, you should kind of, I think we should view payments very similar to that. Um, you should be able to have transact in private between two parties and, and uh, um, not have to worry that a third party is listening in on that that transaction. That's a good analogy. That is a great analogy. Wow. That was good. I think I just got a little mind blown on that one. I never thought <laughs> to put it into perspective like that, but that is actually, I hope legislators take that analogy and run with it. Hopefully, but to officially kind of wind this down, we have a question we like to ask all of our guests. It's kind of tough. And, and I hope you're ready for it. Here it is. In 10 words or less. Thank you, because I was building up the suspense there. I was like, <laughs> in 10 words or less, 
can you describe Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin is uh, probably the best innovation that I've seen in my lifetime. I don't know if that's 10 words, but if you get rid of the probably, you got it. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> there you go. You got it. All right. That's good. That's pretty great. I happen to think so myself as well. And I'm sure Corey does too. Uh, we wouldn't have this podcast if we didn't think that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, Stephen. Well, I, thanks for coming on the show. We, we greatly appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about Big Pay. Sure. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good one. You too. Companies like Abra, companies like, well, used to be Circle. You're not going to get anything out of them anymore. But Abra would be a good company to look into just building a biz model, business model off of. Or, you know, do build something where Bitcoin or Ethereum is being used in the background to transfer these funds. But on the application, people only need to see dollars and real. Mm. And they're not going to care, right? People aren't going to care about what goes around the background. An example I use on the show all the time is when I go to the gas station here and I pay at the pump, people do not care about the software engineering that went into the, me being able to swipe my card at the pump instead of walk into the teller. Yeah, they just like, know me, they me, can pay at the let, pump now. Let me tell you what, is, what he, he was mentioning earlier and that like, this, is, this is a problem that I've, I've heard other people say as well and, and it, it turns them off of Bitcoin. It's, say, for instance, we have this application that only shows us dollars or, or reals. Or, is, it, is it reals? Real. Real. Uh, Real. The, and I give them some amount of money and say the back end is made out of Bitcoin. Well, when the volatility of Bitcoin changes that, that amount by a fraction say for instance the price goes from 610 to, to, to 605 or 600 dollars they're going to lose a, a, a fraction of whatever amount they have in their wallet and they're going to see yeah. the amount go down and people's initial reaction to that because they don't understand how money works necessarily is negative yeah. and they don't trust it mm. they feel like bitcoin's taking their money and so say for instance yeah. they lose 50 cents without doing anything they're going to feel like something's wrong with the technology. Yeah. And I don't know of a way to shield people from that because that's just the, that's the nature of currencies because Bitcoin is a real currency. It reacts, it, 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 it's price changes with respect to other, other currencies. And yeah. you either just educate people and tell them to get over it. I mean, because it can go the other way around, right? We're 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 talking about mm. the, the bad scenario. Say, for instance, the price goes from six ten to six twenty or seven hundred. Then they gain money, and they're like, "Wow, Bitcoin's the greatest thing in the world." Yeah, but they don't fully understand but they don't why understand. they're gaining money. <laughs> so, if you're not providing them, like, say, for instance, this this can happen. But if you're also providing, are you guys recording service, this? I am. If they're not, I am. Too. If they're not. Okay providing a service say for instance if you're providing a service that they can't get otherwise say they have this this application and it it kind of changes in price minusculely they lose five ten cents gain 20 cents a cent there but they're also able to use that application to do something they couldn't do before and if they use that application enough and save enough money those minor fluctuations don't really matter yeah yeah 
I think the biggest uh, the biggest uh, step is to get them into uh, um, the safe zone feeling. Yeah. Um, that that's that's my because I had that feeling too. Now I I hold two three Bitcoin and if Bitcoin go down to one hundred, I will still keep there. Yeah. If it go to one thousand, I still keep there unless I, I need to I unless I I need to use it. Um, and I don't have any way to use other cash. Uh, I would use Bitcoin. But before thing. that, yeah, before that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to do that. I. I. I don't feel um, safe. Well, how do you? Yeah. How do you feel you can get people into the safe zone? Do you have any ideas? Have you thought about that before? Um, I thought about like because. Um, in in uh, in Bitcoin, uh, one Bitcoin uh, slide into 100 million million bit, and I thought, what if we can just use the Bitcoin uh, network and and slide it in 100 million bit and um, use that into our own our own way for tra- transfer for, uh, but that will be funny because. Then um, uh, only one Bitcoin, and then we can like we transact like, like I don't know if you know what I mean. Like at uh, slide one Bitcoin into one million time. Yeah, yeah, divide it and then um, given give one bit equal to let's say one thousand real or twenty five cent. Um, but I don't know if it makes sense. Yeah, you're trying to change the representation of the of the Bitcoin. This is yeah, a, as a, yeah, and that's just changing the units that you represent the money in. If if, yeah. if it makes people feel better that they have, you know, ten thousand millibits, mm. then that fluctuation doesn't seem so big. But when it's still big, when you it's still it's relative to the currency that people are accustomed to. So like, the price change may look larger if you represent it with a very large number. Yeah, yeah. So like, oh wow, I lost yeah. ten thousand of a very tiny unit. Yeah, and they feel bad about that, and so it's 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 the same problem, just on a different scale. Which I'm not sure how people are going to react to it. I see what you're saying though. Like people like yeah, people feel comfortable with numbers around a hundred. They don't feel comfortable with numbers like point zero 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 nine. Or yeah. ten million. That's that's those are uncomfortable numbers for humans. <laughs> yeah. So this is um, yeah. Um, I don't know really yet. Um, at the moment, um, I I'm I'm only thinking of uh, one step at a time. So um, on on the side, um, doing uh, buying more Bitcoin because there's no way in Cambodia that I. I can have more Bitcoin if I want when I want to buy. Like when I have a cash reserve that I want to buy Bitcoin, there's very diff- It's very difficult to buy Bitcoin, even from a local uh, Bitcoin. Um, it's end up buy. It, it, it's ending up more expensive. So I, I like to wait, like I said. And if I want to buy from Coal uh, Coinbase, they don't allow me to buy. Well, I think that's your that's where I think a lot of your retention should be focused on right now, since it's difficult to go in and out of Bitcoin from your currency, making that yeah. very, very easy would help 
people feel better about using the currency if they feel like they can get out at any time. Yeah. Um, do you have any example? Like someone, someone have done that before in any other current, uh, country? I, I personally don't. I mean, exchanges are certainly a way to do that. It, it's the problem with going in and out of your local currency or like, or like making those gears better greased is you, mm. you have to deal with the regulatory agencies of your country. So it's very different yeah. depending upon how your country deals with cryptocurrencies and how they tax and how they want, like how they kind of monitor that type of stuff. Yeah. And so local bitcoins has always been kind of the go-to answer for people who want to try and not deal with regulatory agencies and whether, whether or not that's going to work out in the, in the future, I don't know, but having an mm. app that makes it really easy. See, Coinbase works really well for us because they have done a lot of work in making sure that they comply with all of the U.S. regulations. And for every mm. other instance in every other country, it's probably the same thing, unless they're yeah. doing something in a way that's you know, illegal in their country, which mm. who knows how long that's going to work. Yeah. It's a difficult problem. And I think that's the most difficult problem that Bitcoin's facing right now is how does each individual country deal with, like, deal with Bitcoin and, and getting in and out of Bitcoin? How do they tax it? How do they keep track of it? Because in the end, it's a global currency. And so every country has to deal with it differently. And then going in and out of that yeah. currency becomes a different problem for every country. Mm. I got a question. What's the um, what's the t not the tag, but the code, the currency code for Cambodian rail? Like you have USD, you have GBP. Um, we have uh, so in the in the Latin uh, letter we have R, capital A R. A A H. No, it um. So the spell I send it on a. This is how it's spelled, and let's say the that's R E or R I, -I, -E -L. I E L. Yeah. Real. So um, four four thousand real equal to one dollar. Okay. Mm. Whoa. Okay. Okay. So that's what it is. So you know, cool. One Bitcoin is a lot of real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how much how much does it cost for a tuk tuk ride in reals? Um well a tuk tuk ride is in dollar. So okay. I mean Cambodian use use dollar and real at the same time. Okay. Like is so there something a tuk tuk ride a tuk tuk ride um for example a tuk tuk ride that cost me three dollar fifty cents, I would give a, a guy three dollar plus uh, 2,000 real. Okay. So, oh, it would be 50 cents. Yeah. yeah, that would be, we give him $3 plus 2,000 real. Because we don't use coin. Oh, I see. There's no coins. It's only Very dollars and real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rithi, is there anything that you would like to uh, plug? Uh, direct people to small world. Uh, maybe there's uh, an initiative you want to push. I'll, I'll give you the floor in closing. 
Okay. Um, well, uh, thank you very much for hosting me, Corey. Um, three of you guys. <laughs> I can't pronounce your name very well, but um, <laughs> I hope I, I hope we can put in, we can be in touch more later. Um, sm uh, uh, small world in 2017 onward, um, and and my personal uh, goal is to bring more awareness of blockchain and Bitcoin into Cambodia, so that we have more. Um, more young people, more startup um, aware and, and maybe use Bitcoin and use um, a form of blockchain to uh, solve a problem um, in anything they are doing in the future. So, um, yeah, if any, if and any, and yeah, I just w wanted to back you up. You know, all you young entrepreneurs in Cambodia, stop talking and dreaming and and. Be decisive and knock on doors and, and take action like our friend here. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you and thank you for that. Yeah, and and um, <laughs> if any if anyone interested in learning more about Cambodia and Southeast Asia in general, um, reach me out. Um, I will put in touch with um, good contact around. But if you interest specifically interested in Cambodia and in anything that we do at Small World, um, then um, and also have specific uh, skill related to uh, blockchain and Bitcoin uh, would be highly appreciated. All right. Yeah, let's build that world together. I, and I, I thought it was funny too. On, on Facebook, he used Python to unfollow all of his Facebook friends and pages. So this guy's my yeah. hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got too frustrated by Facebook that always um, like every I'm with you every man I'm five minutes yeah notification yeah. too much <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious go Python go um, anyways go if I could actually anyway. like give you some real advice what you asked for it looks like the very first thing you need to do is an education campaign like yeah. just 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 people aware of how things actually work they have no idea. I mean, there. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you're going to have to get the word out, educate people. But at the same time, the two technologies I think that could help you the most, Ethereum and Bitcoin, maybe not necessarily in that order. Yeah. So those would be the two that you could build on and, and use. Um, but firstly, people need to be educated on exactly, you know, they say Bitcoin's too volatile, but have they ever looked into the, vol the, the, the volatility of the real compared to the the dollar? Have they looked at those things? Did, can they make that statement? I guess they're living it and they feel it, but do they know the actual number? You know, mm. so. Um, I, think, uh, and, I, think, I think another thing that's important too is, uh, you know, it's the holidays. So if you're sending presents to one another, instead of doing that, I mean, you should probably use a service like escrowmybits.com when you guys agree yeah <laughs> i mean it, it's only it's only super easy it takes three steps can't fast forward yeah. to right, this. you guys convince me yeah I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you guys about this uh, all you gotta do is register and deposit your bitcoin uh Rithi, i hope you're following along yeah sell yeah. ships yeah. the item buy or fix the goods <laughs> and then they release the funds and they also offer a bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate so if you're using real yen uh, Canadian money, USD, they got you covered. 
and uh, they're only going to charge you a small flat escrow fee of one percent. So I think that's I think that's the solution. So uh, you know their goal is to making using escrow as simple as possible, and uh, we don't want there to be any excuses on why not to use it. So uh, you know go to that website escrowmybits.com and sign up for that newsletter where you can escrow your shit with escrowmybits. All right. Can you Rita, send me you're the awesome. link also? Yeah. Thank you oh yeah. Me. Absolutely. Yeah. And thanks for joining us, man. This was a uh, this was a blast. And uh, I I think my reputation was on the line bringing you on. So if you were a sorry guest, I would have they would have you know yelled at me. So you were awesome. And I appreciate you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Call yeah. free. The the metric. MSLO. <laughs>